In a world of utter randomness, one podcast stood out from the bunch, and it was the amazing world of talking shiz. <coughs> Sorry, I had to clear my throat there. Um, yeah, it's just mainly randomness. And focus is it's definitely not being not focused on at all. No. Uh, our podcast is definitely um, no theme at all it's literally random and talk about literally everything and throwing in random jokes at any given time we're on spotify apple and google podcasts so go ahead tune in new episodes weekly and we're international international very very well so tune in follow us on twitter see you there This is Blood and Firewater, a true crime, comedy discussion type podcast. We shoot tequila and chase it with a case of murder. Just as a disclaimer, this podcast contains mature content not suitable for all ages. So listener discretion is advised. So welcome to Blood and Firewater, episode 28, season 2, celebrity Hollywood figure type true crime case and you know you, you know where this is going if you haven't heard the show before welcome blood and fire water is a true crime slash comedy slash discussion slash history slash geography slash whatever is relevant to the topic that we're talking about type podcast plus drinking I'm your host Rashad, my co-host Brandy is not here for this episode, so one monkey doesn't stop the show, one monkey doesn't start the show, monkeys don't, there's no monkeys on this show, okay, so anyway, this episode's about um, Bob Marley, and not all of the whalers, although all of, most of the whalers are dead, because of Jamaica violence. But this case in particular is about the life and death of Bob Marley. One of the reasons why I told Brandy she could stay home for this episode is because this case is not shrouded in like a cloud of mystery. But there are conspiracies behind who tried to assassinate Bob Marley at his house days before the Smile Jamaica concert. And whether you want to believe it or not, there are conspiracies about his death. How he did contract, contract, yeah, how he did contract the, can't, contract, is that the word? Contract? How he got cancer, whether it was, you know, just, whoops, I got cancer, or... Was it like a man-made thing? But don't let me bore you with all that. Let me tell you how to get in touch with us. BFW Pod Squad on Twitter. Blood and Firewater Podcast on Instagram. And if you want to just shoot us an email, shoot it to bloodandfirewater at gmail.com. If you're looking to help out the podcast at all, the very best way and the most freest way you can do it Leave us a review on iTunes. It is the most appreciated way that you can help us out. And 
we'll shout you out on the show. I haven't done these in a while, so I'm going to just read like the last three or four, just in case I just dropped the ball and haven't read any of them. So the last one came from K. I'm going to just spell it. That way I can just miss all the mispronunciation in the world. K-T-O-T-H-E-T-13. I adore this show. The hosts are charming and funny, and this is the perfect show to listen to while winding down with a nice highball. Keep it up. This is one to watch. Thank you so much. I wish I knew how you wanted your name to be pronounced. KTO Thet. Hey, there you go. 13. Thank you so much. Very much appreciated. CCR Girl 61. We've seen you before, and you left a three star review last time. She dropped it down to two and told us that our banter takes away from the whole story. Huh. Let's see what you think of this one because I'm by myself. But thanks anyway. Caitlin Reed says i've been waiting for someone to cover the ramon salcedo case thank you awesome podcast that case whew, I, I i did a lot of research for that case and it was as hard to write having a daughter as yeah i, I couldn't imagine you know anyone having to actually remotely go through anything like that if you haven't heard that case it does nothing of the justice that um ramon salcedo actually did if you want to hear you know the best the best way to actually you know hear that case for yourself is to read the book that his daughter wrote because that's the book that I read. Um, read that book. And that will give you a better glimpse into that day of when all that shit went down. Because it's, it's really bad. And the last one comes from Brittany Rianne. This podcast features a sibling duo, Brandy and Rashad, and we can't stop listening. We love their dynamic cases and, of course, the tequila. Definitely give it a listen. Blood and Wine Podcast. Thank you so much, Brittany and Tyler. Yeah, Brittany and Tyler. We appreciate that, guys. Um, it means a lot. I've been a, a big, big fan of y'all's podcast for a long time. We were supposed to meet y'all in New York. We got lost, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> we were there at the place. And the thing the thing about New York and the thing about places in New York is they're not like places in the South where it's just like in the South, there's a front door no matter where you go. Like this is where you come in. This is where you leave. In New York... All rules are off, okay? You can leave out this door and go out another door. Or you can go up to this floor and leave on a different floor. Like, it's madness. So we get to the place where we're supposed to be. 
And the place where we were actually supposed to be was like across the street. But it was in the same plaza, kind of, sort of. I mean, imagine if you were at the mall. Okay, this, this is probably the best way I've been able to put it in my head that way the drive from South Carolina to New York wasn't a complete waste of time well it, it wasn't a waste of time because we got let me start over <laughs> basically we were on the first floor when we should have been on the second floor of the mall and you know we're running around basically you know, down the street from Broadway and Times Square, looking for this place, and we just could not find it. And February in New York, however, it was not snowing. Dreadfully cold. It was so cold. And I was already just so frustrated about not being able to find the place that I don't know what time it was. It was probably about nine o'clock and we were obviously late and we were so late and i was like well there's really like we're, i don't i didn't know what to do uh, you know the, the best thing we could do being small town folk like we were was to just go back to our hotel and lick our wounds later and drink our sorrows, sorrows, our sorrows away. So that's what we did. So that's that's the story of us when we went to New York. I'm so glad Brandon was not here to hear me tell this story because she would have such a different story to tell. But anyway, so now that not all the dishes are done and put away, let's talk about Bob Marley. Now, I would like to start this episode with a hypothetical, hypothetical. I would like to start this episode off with a hypothetical question to you. What if Bob Marley didn't die? Let that sink in. He wanted a revolution. What if he got what he asked for? Bob's message through his music spoke peace and harmony on a global scale. His music transcended race, economic status, language, time, you name it. When the Berlin Wall came down, they did it playing Bob Marley. There are Buddhist monks covering his songs with traditional instruments. Aboriginals have flame have a flame that still lives in this day in honor of Bob Marley. One word to describe him, legend. He was a symbol of freedom, peace, love, and at a time in Jamaica where there was no peace, no love, but war. Civil war, mind you. And someone was out to take his life and the people that he loved the most. This is the story of Bob Marley's assassination attempt. Later, we'll cover the controversy of his very early death. Robert Nesta Marley grew up in a government yard in Trenchtown, like the song. 
He was born on February 6, 1945 in Nine Mile, which is in the St. Anne Parish of Jamaica, to Norval Marley and Sedelia Malcolm. Bob would catch hell because of the fact that his father was a 60-year-old white man and his mother was an 18-year-old native. They called him names like White Boy and Half Breed, you know, the usuals. So around 12, Bob moves in with a family in Trenchtown where he meets Bunny and Peter Tosh and they start playing music together, thus the Whalers were born. In February of 1964, the band would have their first number one hit in Jamaica, Simmer Down. They played what was called at the time ska music, which would be poppy, dance hall sounding type music. But they began to slow down the rhythm, adding heavy bass as Bob learned how to play the guitar. It wouldn't be the true reggae sound that everybody's used to from Bob, but it was the start. In 1966, Bob moved to Delaware to work at a DuPont facility as a lab assistant with his new wife, Frida Anderson. Around this time, Bob denounced his Catholic faith and picked up the Rastafarian faith after returning to Jamaica. He started to grow his dreadlocks and smoke mass amounts of marijuana. Hey, the higher you are, the closer you are to God, right? The Whalers signed with Island Records in 1972, and they released the album Catch a Fire. They followed up with the album Burning, which had the hits I Shot the Sheriff, Get Up, Stand Up. They followed up with the album Burning, which had the hits I Shot the Sheriff and Get Up, Stand Up. The label's owner, Chris Blackwell, gifted the group the house on 56 Hope Road to record, and that became Bob's residence, pretty much. They finally had access to professional equipment, giving them their professional sound. But the Whalers disbanded in 1974 in search of their own solo careers. Bob found some new backup singers, some keyboardists, a new glee. Uh, Bob found some new backup singers, some new keyboardists, a new lead guitarist, and a drummer, but kept the name Bob Marley and the Wailers. And in 1975, they released their live album. And his first solo album with the song No Woman No Cry. Instant international sensation. It's even on The Office. Okay, so here's the thing about Jamaica. Jamaica was not the pretty picture everyone painted in your heads. Jamaica was a land fueled with violence. Gangs ruled the streets and drugs ran rampant. The violence in Jamaica was so bad and politically fueled that Bob felt he needed to step in and have a free concert called Smile Jamaica to bring the feuding parties together in unity and squash their beef. It was, after all, a third world country. By definition, when the word was in fruition, the third world meant that during the Cold War you were not aligned with either NATO or the Communist bloc. First world NATO, second world commie, third world undecided. Cuba is really, really close to Jamaica and also a communist country. The United States was already trying to handle Fidel Castro. They did not need one of the most influential people in the world, Bob Marley, to introduce his third world people and all of their other third worlds into joining that party. With that being said, 
the CIA had its hands all over Latin America and the Caribbean to influence them to join the first world because, well, if you're not first, you're last. The conspiracies in this story are highly political, just so you know, because politicians revered him as a prophet and a dangerous one. But politicians decided to use Bob as a way to sway the vote on the island in their favor. Bob wanted no side. He was on God's side. There were two parties. The JLP, Jamaican Labor Party, led by Edward Siaga, whom everyone thought he was in bed with, the CIA, and the PNP, People's National Party, led by Michael Manley, who was very, very communist, allegedly, and thought to be very, very affiliated with Castro and Cuba. Together they arranged the gangs, the guns, and the drugs that controlled the island, making a note to say that there are no factories on the island of Jamaica that make guns or bullets. So the government is supplying the guns and the drugs and putting gang leaders in positions of power for political gain, in turn allowing the gangs to get away with, well, murder, literally. And who was in town? Remember? CIA? So two days before the concert, December 3rd, 1976, Bob and the rest of the Whalers were at 56 Hope Street practicing. Days prior, Bob was approached by representatives from both parties to do the event with their respective political support, but he declined. This was for the people, not those people. 56 Hope Road at the time was what the Continental is in the John Wick universe. A safe place where it didn't matter what side you were on politically, you were safe from the violence of the gang wars that were going on right outside of your door. So what do the politicians do? The PNP slapped their sticker on the promotional posters for the Smile Jamaica concert and moved up the election date that wasn't even set yet to a week after the concert given the perception that Bob was in support of the PNP, which was not true, by the way. Bob was highly upset about that, but he kind of got kind of got finagled with that. He said, I want to do the concert. And he had to get, like, permission from the government to do it. And they were like, okay, yeah, we'll let you do it. But can we put our name on it? He was like, no. You can't, but I still want to do the concert. And they were like, okay, cool. But you know where I'm going with that. So on the night of the third, Rita, Bob's wife, went to pull out of her driveway, but decided to let another car pull in. A windows rolled down by the car turning in, and Rita is shot in the head. Bob and the band had been taking a break, and he was standing in the kitchen eating grapefruit while he waited for his weed to get there with his guitarist, Don Kinsley. The white Dodson and two passengers continued down the driveway and followed the whaler's manager, Don Taylor, into the back kitchen door and unleashed an onslaught of bullets. The first gunman, a young bumbleclot, had a revolver and shot from around a corner, pissing himself in the process. Another gunman came in strapped with a submachine gun and planned to use it, unlike his unexperienced counterpart. 
He pointed it in the direction of Bob, his guitarist Don Kinley, and his manager Don Taylor. Bob made himself small and hard to hit while crouched into a corner. Kinley dove behind some band equipment, narrowly dodging death. But Taylor had been hit five times by a submachine gun in the back. Then a final shot rang out, hitting Bob. The bullet grazed his chest plate, almost hitting his heart before it was lodged into his left arm. Then the bloodshed stopped as if it never happened. The gunman left. Bob was covered in blood. But it wasn't Bob's blood. It was his manager's blood, Don Taylor. Bob survived this assassination attempt. But on the small island of Jamaica, where everybody knows everybody, Bob would find out who conspired to rid him of this world. So I, like everyone else, we kind of, as a people, you kind of want to tie up those like loose ends. And there's nobody, at least where I'm from, that's going to tell me like, oh yeah, they, they did it or they did it. So I had to draw my own conclusions. So for one, I was like, okay, maybe the JLP had to get rid of the most influential person on earth at the time. The easiest way would be to make it look like gang activity. The gangs in which they controlled. I don't know where they thought they were going to obviously not be looked at, but whatever. But Bob did have a horse race fixed days earlier, and someone could have been quite upset about that. But to murder a room full of people over a horse race seems to be a bit much. But this is Jamaica. Bob did good, but he also got his hands dirty. But so did his manager, Don Taylor. He was taken off the top of all Bob's live concerts and gambling all of his money with some very dangerous people. Also the CIA. They were privy to all of the advocacy that Bob had with the PMP and all the communist ties that came with that. The CIA had been giving drugs, guns, and money in exchange for loyalty all over Latin America and the Caribbean and could have hired the hit squad that night as to not make it look like a deliberate assassination but gang warfare. Before you ask, everyone in Jamaica thought the CIA was in on it. Now the story goes that the men were never brought to justice, at least legal justice. Rita was taken to the hospital along with Don Taylor and after several surgeries, they were recovered. Doctors told Bob that if they removed the bullet from his arm, that he would not be able to play the guitar. So he told him to leave it. Nothing was going to stop him from the show coming up in two days, not even an assassination attempt. Bob was put in protective custody on Strawberry Hill, a secluded area in the Blue Mountain region of Jamaica. It was owned by his record label and thought Bob would be safe there. But here's something funny about what happened up on that mountaintop. A film crew came up to the mountain to do an interview with Bob about the show coming up. One person with the crew was a CIA agent named, allegedly named, Carl Colby. On Colby's deathbed, he confessed that during his visit, he gifted Bob with a pair of Converse All-Star size 10. Colby said, quote, I gave him a pair of Converse All-Star size 10. When he tried on the right shoe, he screamed out, 
ouch, that was it. The life was over there. And then the nail in the shoe was tainted with cancer viruses and bacteria. If it pierced his skin, which it did, it was good night nurse, unquote. Okay. It could be a crackpot theory, but we'll leave it at that. And we'll double back on this theory. So, the day of the concert, his band had been somewhat shaken <laughs> from what transpired days before. Rita was shot in the head, but she had to sing back up on stage in front of an audience and possibly the assassins that tried to take her life. Bob showed no fear, but he knew he would have to motivate her some way or another so that she would go out and sing, basically. So he told her that they would only do one or two songs and they were out of there. Bob knew that he was taking a chance and putting others' lives at risk. But this incident was what this concert was all about. Ending the political war in the streets between the PMP and the JLP. Ending the violence and suffering of his children and countrymen as they were fed lies by the CIA and worldly turmoil. He wanted his people to know that there was he was there for them. So what should have been one or two songs turned into a 90-minute set in front of 80,000 people. The man who just went through an assassination attempt got on stage and would not get off until he showed the crowd his gunshot wounds and dared the man who did it to speak up. Whew. That's like that's like Abraham Lincoln getting shot in, uh, what was it? Ford Theater or something like that, getting shot in the head and then just being like, hey, I'm not leaving here. And t- oh my God. Because, like, they, they had, didn't they chase John Wilkes Booth? Like, he jumped off, like, the second balcony and broke a leg or something and then ran out. Like, I don't know. That's, that might be a case I might have to do. Like, that's sketch. That is sketchy. Days later, Bob Marley and the Whalers would leave Jamaica for London, England, and he started working on Exodus while exiling himself away from the corruption that was going on in Jamaica. While in Europe in July of 77, Bob injured his toe playing soccer. When doctors checked the toe out, they discovered that Bob had a type of malignant melanoma in his toe and wanted to amputate, but because of Bob's Rastafarian religious ties, would not allow it. Bob would come back to Jamaica in 1978 in spectacular fashion, holding the One Love concert, bringing political rivals Manly and Siaga on stage to shake hands, but they knew the peace would not last. They needed conflict, they needed war, and they needed poverty to achieve sovereignty. The band continued touring, although Bob's health began to deteriorate. While in New York City jogging around Central Park, Bob collapsed and had to be taken to the hospital. There they would discover that the cancer had spread throughout his body. He was flown to Germany for treatments by a very controversial doctor by the name Josef Issels. Close enough. Eight months of a treatment that did not work. Bob boarded a plane headed back to Jamaica, but had to make an emergency landing in Miami because Bob's condition began to worsen. On May 11, 1981, Bob Marley died at Cedars of 
Lebanon Hospital due to the spread of melanoma to his lungs and the brain at the age of 36. Throughout living in the gang-infested streets of Trenchtown, Jamaica, Bob's only weapon was his guitar, and his words were the bullets that pierced not only through the nation of Jamaica, but the world. Songs like Redemption Song, Buffalo Soldier, Get Up, Stand Up, Natural Mystic, I Shot the Sheriff, No Woman, No Cry, Three Little Birds, Jamming, Satisfy My Soul, among a long list of others will forever be in my playlist and in my heart and in the hearts of millions. Now let's dive back into this quote-unquote shoe theory just for a second. As far as the Jamaicans know, and I've known, the CIA attempted to take Jamaica's favorite son from them with the hit squad that they armed, trained, and failed miserably at. So maybe they had to take a different approach as to make it purely look like an accident. Don't believe it? Here's some other weapons that, although not all fatal, the CIA did develop, and I'm sure will add to the theory that is possible for cancer injection to be plausible in their arsenal of weird things that the CIA comes up with. Number one, the heart attack gun. If you've never heard of this, it's, it's a gun. They, they fucking, they, okay. They point it at you and they shoot it, I guess. Or, I don't know what sound a heart attack gun makes. I'm, I'm imagining some kind of Star Trek sound or something like that. And, I, you, you just have a heart attack. I don't know. Number two, the acoustic kitty. The acoustic kitty was not a, it was a, it was a device, basically. They, they would put in a cat's ear and use it as a secret recording device. Almost like a fly on the wall type dealio. There was also a fly on the wall, by the way. But, you know, they would use cats to record secret conversations with other people. And then you have the all famous MK Ultra where they just, you know, kept you doped up on LSD for 70, 80 days as a truth serum to see if it just made you tell the truth. I mean, hey, after 70 or 80 days of doing LSD, anybody's going to tell you the truth. So give your imagination some credit. Is it conceivable that the CIA developed a way to harness mock cells that can cause cancer. Sure, they have an unlimited budget and some of the best R&D people in the world, but why Bob? Bob was easily one of the most influential people in the world through the power of song. Bob's messages, however, were very revolutionary and not limited to the powers of any government. He sang about love and peace not propaganda and brainwashing. But if the PMP was a communist party and they had Bob fucking Marley on their side, shit could get bad. The man that claimed he gave the cancer lace shoes to Bob under the alias Carl Colby was trained as a sniper and marksman. 
Colby also had significant experience with more unconventional methods of inflicting harm upon others like poisons, explosives, induced heart attacks, and induced cancer. A copper wire pricked Bob's toe, the same toe that was injured in Europe in 1978, and the same toe that they diagnosed cancer in. But I, I digress. Sort of. What do you think? Who shot the sheriff? Sort of speak. I want to know. because or, or he could have just died of natural causes of cancer at 36. You know, him being the free-spirited... Rastafarian, berry eaten, you know, working out. Like he was, he took very good care of himself. You know, like he had a very, very good diet. He, uh, he played soccer like every day. He played music like every day. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't feel that. I mean, can't nobody, nobody is, um, everyone is susceptible to, to cancer. I get that. And I mean, if they had said like, you know, Bob's grandma died of cancer or it was hereditary or something like that, then I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess who, but like none of that was ever brought up into the picture, you know, like Bob has like. 11 kids and none of them have just been like oh no I got cancer now like none of them have died from cancer so what the actual F there's got to be a little bit more than what we're being told about this story and I'd love to hear what you think you can reach out to us on Instagram at blood and fire water podcast Twitter at BFW pod squad or if you want to just shoot me an email, you want to talk directly about it, bloodandfirewater at gmail.com. Looking to support the show? Best, most freest way you can do it? Leave us a review on iTunes. We'll shout you out on the show. Thank you ahead of time, and we'll thank you again later. This has been my first solo dolo episode, I think, out of almost 30 episodes. I think I did a good job out here just talking to myself. Hadn't felt that weird, to be honest with you. Especially since I talk to myself a lot. But it's fine. I'll get over it one day. But anyway, tune in next week. We'll have a brand new episode waiting for you. Brandy might be back. I don't know. We're going to see where this coronavirus thing goes. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Stay alert, stay alive.